Thanks much. Good morning. We're <clears throat> 15 minutes past, uh, already into my talk, so I may talk a little fast. I apologize, but I want to make sure I get all the topic done for you. Um, first of all, I trained in the military, so I had firsthand experience of physician assistants from day one, and I had the pleasure of training them uh, during their uh, internship time when I was out in the field. Uh, since that time at the University of Pittsburgh, I've also trained the PAs in our program, and we have about eight physician assistants at the University of Pittsburgh. So we're definitely a PA advocate. There you go. Hey, thank you very much. <laughs> so today I'm going to talk about anogenital disease. Um, <clears throat> it was initially penile dermatoses, but, you know, since we're down in that area, yellow. And there we go. I don't have it memorized, so there you go. Uh, so I decided to include a broader spectrum for you of what we're talking about, but the main focus will still be on the, the penis. Um, but first up, uh, no conflict of interest, uh, no financial associations. We may mention off-label medication use in there. Um, the honorarium is from your society. What are our objectives? Well, let's learn common dermatoses, anogenital infections, neoplasms, and how we deal with these. Um, in the uh, patients that we see on a daily basis. So once again, I said I was in the military. These are the, my pictures of the day. You can see uh, in the top left, that was when we were at our um, uh, officer training camp. And if you notice, out of the four people there, one person doesn't have their mask on yet. That was me, unfortunately. Uh, but we did save the patient. So uh, when I was in the military, I saw a great need to try to make it easy how to understand male genital disease because we saw so much of it. And at the time when we were training, and most people do training when they're first doing their stuff, is that they'll get mnemonics, and they'll come up with wide lists of mnemonics. As you get older, you can't remember the mnemonics, so you just try to remember the disease, right? So we, uh, we came up with a, a, a mnemonic, um, and uh, we'll go to that in a second. How do you go backwards? There we go. Uh, so that mnemonic we'll discuss later. But before we go into that, a little bit about anatomy. The, the glands is the head of the penis. You have the corona, the coronal sulcus, and then the foreskin. You may hear the term balanitis, uh, which means the glands. Postitis is inflammation of the foreskin. You can have balanopostitis is both. Um, you may also um, uh, hear the term prepus for uh, the foreskin. I want to go over my pearls now for you, um, just so you can make sure I hit them all, okay? Not all male anogenital disease is sexually related. That's number one. Uh, even though every patient, male patient, thinks it is. Uh, if you look at the front, you gotta look at the back. All uncircumcised foreskins needs to be, needs to be retracted during the uh, physical exam. It should be foreskin, not skins, excuse me. Uh, uh, anogenital disease may be a marker of systemic disease. And being a medical dermatologist, um, I wanna stress those points for you. So here's the mnemonic we came up with, specifically for dermatoses of the glands and the prepuce, but it can fit for um, throwing in the rest of the anogenital area. So faint with psoriatic balanitis, fixed drug, allergic irritant, infection, neoplastic, traumatic psoriasiform balanitis are the, what we, I came up with to try to help me remember what I teach my residents and every patient I see that comes in for a male genital exam. That's what goes through my mind when I do, uh, when I'm trying to figure out what it is. So first we're going to talk about drug reactions. The biggest one that you see in the general area is the fixed drug reaction. Um, here's a dated um, 
article, but there's not much on fixed drug reactions from 1998. They looked at 450 uh, cases of fixed drug eruption, and 73% were due to sulfa drugs, and 20% were located on the genitalia. The most common site in this study was the lip, which I haven't really seen much of. Um, fixed drug eruption, obviously drugs change, as we can see with the new biologic agents and all the tyrosine kinase inhibitors, the whole new realm of drug reactions. Um, geographic variance is important because the way they treat people in India is different than the way they treat people in the United States. But obviously antibiotics, antifungals, antipsychotics, and your uh, non-narcotic analgesics are the most common. So what, how, why do we get it in one specific area? We still don't have the exact answer, but there is activation of localized intraepidermal CD8 positive T cells uh, that eventually get triggered by the drug and cause a more significant um, immune reaction after that. You can do contact allergy testing. I recommend you go to Fisher's and see how you can crush the drug and put it in a Vaseline basin. You have to patch test at the site of the fixed drug reaction because that's where those intraepidermal um, CD8 cells are that you can try to reactivate to see if you want to do it. Most people, if you have it on the genitalia, don't want to do that. <laughs> they, if you can figure out that it's a drug, they'll believe you, I think. So the biggest thing I like to show you is there's morphological variants of all the diseases. You can have a small bullous lesion, which everyone thinks would be herpes and uh, whoever you are. And then the second, you can see where you get bullous in uh, flaccid bullae with erosion, or you can just present with erosion. You do not have to go through a bullous phase. Uh, here is a balanopostitis, right? Inflammation of the glands and prepus. Obviously, it's inflammatory and erosive, and this was due to Bactrim. So, sulfa drugs love to cause these reactions here. So, does this put this person at risk for TEN or Steven Johnson later? Uh, I don't know if that data is available, uh, but obviously, he doesn't want this to recur again, so I'd avoid the sulfa drugs. Now, you can get other drug reactions that happen just to coincide with the genital area. TEN, right? TEN sloughs your skin. It doesn't care what part it is. It can affect your genitals, especially sulfa. And they say allopurinol is one of the more common ones um, that can cause it. Uh, in my career, it's definitely been sulfa more than allopurinol. Granulomatous reactions, isotretinoin. Uh, loves to do the toenails, right? You get those granulation tissue around the toenails from repetitive trauma, just from uh, minimal exercise. can also happen in other areas where there is repetitive use. Um, erosive, non-fixed drug eruptions, foscarnate and miquimod, and then purpuric or some. And I just want to show you the ones I've come across in my career. You can see in the, is that laser working? I don't think so. Well, in the top right, this was a patient that had, you can say, well, that looks like a fixed drug reaction, but actually he was going through TEN elsewhere. So just the genitals can be involved with that. The middle picture is that of uh, granulation tissue, not pyogenic granulomas, but just granulation tissue from a patient that was um, on Accutane and from vigorous intercourse developed these lesions. The last, another nonspecific erosive change was due to the use of foscarnate. Foscarnate is used for CMV retinitis, it's also for acyclovir-resistant herpes, and it's secreted in, from the kidneys in its active form, so patients have to be very uh, cleanly. And if they don't, uh, if the urine gets trapped with the drug, active drug, and it can ulcerate the skin. So if you have patients on foscarnate that develop a balanitis, think the drug. And we've probably all seen this before, amiquimod, lots of times used, uh, not always to treat warts, uh, but in this case, you can see obviously had a, a, a significant reaction um, from the drug. Now, Coumadin necrosis, we don't see that much anymore because patients uh, usually get heparinized before they start their Coumadin. 
Um, but sometimes uh, they may not, or they have a, uh, a heterozygote deficiency in protein C or S, so they're susceptible for a hypercoagulable state when you first start the warfarin. Um, now, it usually likes fatty areas, abdomen and thighs. Differential is a vasculitis. Differential also is calciphylaxis in your renal transplant patient, but it likes the penis. Um, and uh, since we're on this, you can see priapism can occur with this warfarin-induced skin necrosis. Um, priapism in itself um, has been seen in a lot of neurologic injuries or hematologic disorders, and it was probably one of the most disturbing procedures I ever saw in medical school when I was on the urology rotation was the treatment of priapism, which I don't think has changed much. One spinal needle down, one corpus cavernosum, one's down the other, and you drain it and try to get the clot out. Um, and those, those were patients that aren't on your uh, Viagra and Cialis nowadays. Okay, so we go on to A, allergic irritant or other dermatoses. First up, uh, we'll go over allergic uh, contact dermatitis. 37 patients in this study from dermatitis were, were specifically found out to have general dermatoses that were patch tested in a larger study. 15 of 37 were positive. Uh, they thought 30% were clinically relevant. Um, the allergens, obviously, toiletries, cosmetics, most common top three were fragrances, right? So that's why um, you always want to, you know, if your patients have general issues, you always say use fragrance-free products down below. And I would say the more, more recently I've seen more in women as well, the, um, the use of the um, baby wipes has caused a lot of problems with allergic contact dermatitis. This one happened to be a gentleman that had a little um, penile pruritus, started using gold bond, and had his uh, dermatosis explode. You can see that there's edema of the prepuce with some vesiculation and uh, erythema, so an allergic contact dermatitis, and that was due to benzocaine that was in the gold bond. Now, also, too, it's unique about the penile skin is very elastic, right? It can expand and also can do it when there's a little bit of inflammation that can cause edema. So you may see edema first before you actually see inflammation. So you can see several cases here, and they also use the term saxophone penis due to the curvature at the end um, that edema can cause uh, of the penis. And then obviously a more progressive case you can see here, there's erythema, some edema to significant genital edema uh, from a allergic contact dermatitis to poison ivy. Now that kind of got us thinking, you know, we had a couple cases that people came in with genital edema and like, well, geez, what, how, do you, how does a dermatologist handle genital edema? So we wrote this article in the um, Journal of the European, Journal of, well, I'll just say JEDV, leave it at that. I can't remember what that was. Anyway, so we published that in 2007 and we went over how to break it down. So basically it was acute, subacute, and uh, chronic genital edema. Acute genital edema that's painful, torsion, hematocele from trauma, priapism, incarcerated hernia. You can also throw in there fornase gangrene. Um, I mean, you know, some people say, why would you write a paper about that? It, did, it was pertinent for me at one time because about two years after I wrote this article, my 14-year-old uh, son woke up in the middle of the night with low back pain, nausea, uh, and vomiting. And so I said, well, you're probably just getting a little GI bug. I go back to bed, and that's where your subconscious comes in sometimes. And I wake up and said, oh, my God, he's got torsion. Went in. I said, sorry, let me take a look, bud. Boom. I was able to get him to the emergency room. They did the ultrasound. There was no flow. But uh, we were able to save my uh, grandchildren because they got the uh, uh, flow back. <laughs> I'm sure that my now 16-year-old would love to know that I just said that to a room of 
majority women. Um, there's non-painful non uh, edema from contact dermatitis. Kawasaki's can cause genital edema. Henoxoral and purpura, hydrocele, VP shunts. We see it all the time. How many times they don't even, you don't even notice it when you're an inpatient, right? They're just like, oh, that was grown or swollen. Okay, no, what, no big deal. They, you know, so it, but it may mean, though, that you can have pancreatitis. You could have a peritoneal dialysis leak, a lot of different things. Medications can cause it as well. Um, ACE inhibitors, right, like causing angioedema. They have had reports of just genital edema without um, upper respiratory involvement with um, uh, ACE inhibitors. And then this idiopathic scrotal edema we'll talk a little bit about later. So classic cases of just you got a Foley and you got edematous scroti and they just hope that it will go back to normal afterwards. Now subacute, you know, usually it's a little bit inflamed, a little bit enlarged, but not as rapid onset. Um, the biggest things to worry about for medical dermatology is what? Sarcoidosis and Crohn's disease and, uh, God forbid, a metastatic cancer. Okay. Um, in this upper case here, this is an example of uh, metastatic Crohn's disease uh, in the scrotum. He was biopsied by urology three times, and each time it came back granulomatous dermatitis, but no one ever asked him, did he have any problems with diarrhea? Uh, so we didn't have to biopsy him again. We were able just to get, the, get into his treatment for Crohn's. Chronic uh, genital edema, obviously if you have lymphatic um, abnormality with milroys, hydradenitis, you just saw how that can cause significant genital edema. And cellulitis, and then what we call non-venereal penile slash scrotal edema. That's where you just get edema, and it's basically you don't know why. Um, there's no active cellulitis at the time, but there may have been a low-grade cellulitis in the past. Um, and I'll show you some other examples in a sec. So astutely, this was uh, Matt Zyrus from Ohio State, was a colleague of mine at Pitt for a while, and he um, <clears throat> He did our contact at Pitt when he was there, and he had this case that uh, he shared with me is that uh, this patient came in, every time on prednisone, these lesions went away, right? Um, but when uh, uh, the prednisone was done, it came right back. So he thought the, the, there was more edema going on here. He biopsied and it was consistent with metastatic Crohn's disease. So um, think of that sometimes in those areas. <clears throat> now you see another patient, an older gentleman, come in here with a um, slightly red, but um, thickened uh, penile shaft, and then the gentleman below with his large uh, scrotal enlargement uh, and chronic lymphedema going on in these areas. <clears throat> these are the ones where you think of what was causing this. If you biopsy it, there's no Crohn's, there's no sarcoid. If you, uh, uh, the biopsy may show a low, low, low grade dermal hypersensitivity reaction. What does that mean? <laughs> Um, so what I usually do with these patients is I do biopsy just to make sure you're not missing something internal. Then I put them on a long course of antibiotics, and that can be a beneficial. So you can see here, this gentleman was on about uh, three months of azithromycin, uh, and you can see he had some improvement, but not a complete reduction. Now, since they had a dermal hypersensitivity reaction, I thought of the great idea. I'll put these people on Imuran or Celsep and see if that helps, and that didn't really do anything. So talking to our urology colleagues, um, when I've given this talk to the American Urologic Association, there are some debulking surgeries that you can do, but you have to find the right urologist to do that. I'm lucky at Pitt, there's one, but not an, an easy medical fix for idiopathic, uh, non-venereal, penile, scrotal edema. A little bit different than what the young kids get. I'm not a pediatrician, a pediatric dermatologist. They can get young scrotal edema that comes and goes, so that's a little bit different. Now, sometimes people want, uh, you may think is edema is actually not. This is paraffin, paraffinomas. Um, some cultures like to uh, expand the uh, size of the penis with fillers or uh, other 
assorted items. And you can see here that sometimes you can get, obviously, a weird disformity of the penis. You can also get uh, a breakdown, almost like a granulomatous reaction. There's just a, an old surgical picture showing improvement after they removed the paraphenoma. We talked about hidradenitis. You just had that talk there before. Obviously, this case on the buttocks, you don't want to try to do that in your office. I would refer that to plastics. Um, <clears throat> but you can get some significant scrotal edema with the uh, standard hidradenitis in uh, the male. Now, but okay, so we talked about some bad things, but um, uh, now we go back to the dermatoses. <clears throat> the most common cause of dermatosis, I, I go allergic first because that's always everyone thinks right off the bat, but the most common is irritant dermatitis. Uh, lots of times when uh, men like to overwash the area and can get a dermatitis. That's probably your number one cause, as in these two cases. Now, the gentleman on the, <clears throat> on the right actually had a little extracurricular activity with some papilloma, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So you can get just dermatoses or not psoriasis, just eczema. It's just like skin anywhere else. Okay, having fun yet? Woo, I know you got vulva yesterday. I saw it. So you can blame your people who are in charge about it. I said I'd talk about skin and hypercoagulable states, but they picked this talk. So um, <clears throat> don't blame me. All right, so obviously STDs, you know, they're kind of getting away from dermatology. When I was in the military, we were the STD people. Uh, once they took the dark field away from us, and you, you know, which was very hard to do anyways because of CLIA regulations, is it kind of disappeared to more of your, um, you know, your Allegheny, for us it's Allegheny County Health Department taking care of that kind of stuff. But there are some times where there will be actual things that um, the dermatologist will see that need to be aware of. So for learning purposes, the MMWR has this uh, great, they do it every about three years. They go over all the, the different sexually transmitted diseases, just should have one available online for you. Now the also thing too is our handout, I did give a handout for you, a little modified version of what I'm showing you today, but it's in your um, little jump drive. So classic, syphilis, right? This was a large syphilitic chancre. Uh, if you notice here too also that the foreskin is inflamed, syphilis can cause a balanopostitis without an ulcer, and that's called syphilitic balanitis of Fulman, but obviously had this big, large, rubbery um, chancre. Now the, the interesting thing was, this guy was uncircumcised. He came in, he goes, I got something on my uh, genitals. I'm like, well, I don't see anything. So he pulled it back, and this big rubbery thing came flopping out. And they used to call it a dory flop for some reason. I don't know if it was named after Dr. Dory who found it, but sometimes these lesions can pop out and uncircumcised. That's a little fun point that you say you learned in St. Louis. Um, <clears throat> so treponine and pallidum, treat it with uh, penicillin. Now also, too, the most important thing is if you see one STD, there may be another one, right? So you want to make sure that you do your STD workup. I recommend HIV, RPR, hepatitis B and C. And now you don't have to get the little urethral swab, right? Um, what you do is that you, um, you can get GC and chlamydia PCR on a urine specimen that can do it, so it's a lot easier. So what do I do with my urethral swabs? Anyone do nail surgery here? There's a lot of nail of um, ingrown toenails. When they used to do the phenolmatrixectomy, I always had trouble sticking my Q-tip in there. It was too big and trying to break it down. But urethral swabs, really nice to get in the corner with the, um, for the phenolmatrixectomies. All righty. So we go on. Syphilis loves to cause kissing lesions, right? right? So if you see two lesions together, it's ulcerative, think syphilis. Split papules are a common thing for secondary syphilis. They like to have two different lesions. But don't forget, things like sarcoid can also do that to you on the lips. And then there's your spirochete on dark field. Secondary syphilis gives you more like your pityriasis rosea. Uh, this gentleman here had the moth-eaten goatee. 
And um, so that was kind of a different, usually you see that his, but the alopecia in his scalp didn't look classic for syphilis. Um, classic macular papular eruption, HIV population, especially in the lesions on the palms, right? The ham colored, I can't get more ham colored than that. Now there are atypical presentations and that's why I always tell the, the last speaker had something about outside the box, think outside the box. I do that with all my residents, all the PAs, what else could it be? So this gentleman was HIV positive. His CD4 count was a little bit below 250 and we had this widespread papular eruption. And it was very, uh, to him it was kind of asympt asymptomatic. So I said, well, you know, I'll scrape it for scabies. It was negative. Um, there was no pustules. This is weird eosinophilic folliculitis. So I did a biopsy. And I told my pathologist, I said, I'm also worried about a weird syphilis, right? Because in Afro-American skin, you can get papular PR. I was thinking down in that uh, avenue of differential diagnosis. So they biopsied and said it was folliculitis. And I said, uh, well, you know, <clears throat> his RPR came back positive. Would you mind doing the, uh, the, the RPR stain? You can see here that the treponemum were all throughout the hair follicles. So this was a papular syphilis of the hair follicles, but didn't cause alopecia per se, as in the alopecia of the scalp. So think for a typical tertiary syphilis, the gummas they talk about, rare phenomenon nowadays. Louis maligna is another weird um, uh, uh, ulcerol necrotic variant that you may see. Genital herpes, <clears throat> sometimes it's nice and easy and straightforward. Um, you can see the herpetic uh, uh, vesicles on the erythematous base. Uh, you can do a zinc prep and the, if you still do those. Uh, you can also do DFA for HSV and VZV. Um, and uh, you can see your multinucleated giant cells, obviously. So treatments, acyclovir, famcyclovir, valcyclovir. The ones where you as dermatologists can, most, most doctors can be able to know that that one looks like herpes. It's the one that comes in that doesn't look like herpes that you got to prove that it's herpes. Make sense? Uh, so the gentleman in the lower left here just had a little isolated ulcer, you know what I mean? And so even with one of my derm residents, I was like, hey, you really got to do a zinc prep on that. Well, I don't think it's going to just do the zinc prep, and it was positive. Now, herpes that is chronic in the immunosuppressed patient likes to get a rolled border. Not all rolled borders equal herpes, but it should raise a red flag for you in the genital areas with a rolled border is to think of a uh, chronic herpetic infection in the immunosuppressed. <clears throat> so in this setting, an HIV patient came in to us and he had this uh, upper gluteal cleft ulcerative uh, erythematous plaque, which I thought was going to be a squamous cell carcinoma, turned out to be a, a chronic herpetic infection. <clears throat> Speaking of herpes, obviously you can think of the, varis, uh, the herpes family, varicella, can get reactivated uh, chicken pox, and you can get it in the anogenital area right, down to L4, L5, S1, S2. Um, this is also something you gotta be pay attention to is, you know, you can get herpes zoster, sine zoster, right, where you get the pain without the inflammation. So sometimes you gotta think about that, and we'll talk about dysesthetic anogenital syndromes here in a minute. And also, too, your chronic um, um, herpes uh, family varicella can also give you that ulcerative uh, appearance uh, in the immunosuppressed and may not heal. All right, well, if you talk about herpes, you gotta say, what else is in the differential, right? Outside the box, okay? So non-HSV penile ulcerations, you gotta think of Bichette's, complex apthosis, and PG, okay? An ulcerative lesion, okay? This one here, your zinc prep's negative, your DFA is negative, um, so you gotta take it to the next level. Here, once again, you say, hey, rolled borders with an uh, uh, ulceration. This one's kind of, uh, looks a little chronic. Um, 
you know, you do your, you can do a biopsy. You can also do your, your preps and everything was, was not herpes. So this case here was Bichette's. This case here was a complex apthosis. And I'll tell you the difference here in a second. Uh, now this gentleman here presented with other lesions throughout. On his lower extremity, he had these large ulcerative lesions and he also had a penile ulcerative lesion. So he had a, like the disseminated, the superficial disseminated PG and also had a, a penile lesion. So not the primary penile dermatoses, but an unfortunate place to get. So Bichette's versus complex athosis, just thinking outside the box. Obviously Bichette's has the, both have the uh, recurrent oral and genital um, ulcerations, uh, but the Bichette's will have the um, uveitis and retinal vasculitis. It also can have erythema nodosum, papulopustular lesions, and the pathogen tests. Where your complex apthosis doesn't have the eye involvement. So sometimes you get people who come in both, you're waiting for the bichettes, you get the eye exam, it's negative. You get them to, uh, you can get them to rheumatology and they say, eh, I don't think they have bichettes. So then it's idiopathic, but also worry about inflammatory bowel disease, HIV, gluten sensitive enteropathy, and vitamin deficiency. My wife just started me on a gluten free diet. Anyone gluten free? One person? All right, good for you. I, I don't have. Uh, gluten-sensitive enteropathy or dermatitis herpetiformis. But I've lost seven pounds and just eating what you told me to eat, so go gluten. They had, I don't even, I gave up Diet Pepsi and um, the fake sugars, like, you know, um, Equal and stuff like that. I don't know if I've recovered from that. I wouldn't give up cigars, though, so I don't know if I'm doing any good. Um, Non-HSV perianal ulcerations, right? Viral, it's not, a look, there's your rolled border, right? Well, yeah, that may think be herpes, but also you gotta worry about CMV, Deep fungal infections, histoparacoxy, tuberculosis loves to do this, as well as entamoeba histolytica. So once again, I'm just throwing out your spectrum of things that can all happen downstairs. Um, each one of these uh, are the classic, uh, other classic STDs, um, gonorrhea, granuloma inguinale, LGV, and chancroid. Those are the most up-to-date treatments that they have. I throw molluscum in here as well. I see more molluscum as an STD than I see molluscum as a uh, incidental contact between uh, outside the genital area. So um, gonorrhea likes to give you a um, urethral discharge. It also can cause the sebaceous, ectopic sebaceous glands behind the frenulum uh, to uh, cause uh, these little glands called Tyson's glands to get enlarged. And then in the old days on boards, they used to show you that, you know, find the intracellular uh, diplococci. Um, does anyone know where the word clap come, came from? The derivation of clap is a couple things. One, they say, as everyone has said, oh, you have gonorrhea, they used to go like this. Can you hear that? That was the clap. Uh, the second thing was, is they used to say, just like uh, ganglion cysts, they used to take the, uh, a big book and slam it to try to squash out the ganglion cysts. They used to do that to the penis, where they used to try to drop a book on it, or, hey, it's on Wikipedia, it's not me, okay. And, uh, or, they, or in the Civil War, they used to use the butt of a rifle, and they could hear when they heard the, the clap of that, they were trying to express the rest of the fluid. But I think the, the term is clapier, C-L-A-P-I-E-R, which is, uh, means a brothel in French. Um, so anyways, a little history. Um, chancroid is another ulcerative, very painful disease. They call it the chancroid shuffle. Very difficult to walk with that. You get these uh, school of fish on the uh, smear. Um, the other thing that's very important, this is more of a Caribbean disease. And, but if, if you get chancroid, you have a higher incidence of developing HIV. Uh, granuloma inguinale, it looks like granulomas, right? It has the safety pin. Um, 
organisms on the smear. Uh, and then the classic LGV is the groove sign, right? Everyone thinks, oh, you got your groove sign, it's LGV. Usually you don't see the shanker at first, right? However, is, is it specific only for LGV? Groove sign. No, it's not, right? There's other issues that can cause it. So we go back to our gentleman here who is an HIV positive, erythro psoriatic erythrodermic with chronic herpes with massive adenopathy, right? And it wasn't from LGV. So groove sign doesn't automatically mean an STD. Um, it may mean that you can get, you know, any other reason you get adenopathy. Molluscum papules. I'm, uh, at the university, obviously, I see a lot of uh, college kids come in with this in the anal genital area. You know, people don't, may not classify it an STD, but when I see my kids come in and it's all in the anogenital area and they are having intercourse with or without condoms, sometimes it can spread with, um, to the suprapubic area, I still check for other STDs. Human papillomavirus. <clears throat> There's a nice large cauliflower lesion. Make sure you don't just biopsy that without appropriate um, hyfurcation. This one bled significantly <laughs> afterwards. Um, human papillomavirus 611, 16, and 18 are the ones to worry about. Uh, though obviously the onychogenic potential. Treatments out there, Condolox, Amiquimod, uh, the new Venergan. Uh, you can do cryo, podophylline in your office, that's the 25%. Uh, try, uh, try and bichloroacetic acid in surgery. If you do use podophylline resin, it is based in benzoin, okay? So when you put it on, you have to use alcohol to wipe it off. So you say, hey, leave it on for four to eight, 12 hours, however you wanna leave it on. And when you say wipe it off, right, it, you got to wipe it off with an alcohol swab or it will stay and continue to cause ulceration. Now, when you use um, cantharidin, cantharidin is water-soluble. So when you put cantharidin on your kids for molluscum, you say water to wash off. So it's a little different if you go with the old-school treatment. Uh, sometimes warts are simple, little papule to very complicated urethral, periurethral, require intraurethral fibrouracil. You know, you're going to have to get involved with urology in those cases. Uh, the history usually is, hey, this wasn't there yesterday. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, you mean this thing that's, you know, anyway, so obviously large uh, ones. Sometimes they kind of hide. Pubic hair can be, you know, your friend, your enemy. Um, uh, I guess that, uh, you know, pubic hair is an in in the 21st century, but uh, some still have it. Um, here, you kind of, at first when I walked in the room, I'm sort of like, what's going on? You had to focus real closely to see it. And then sometimes they come in and it's quite obvious. So good, large, who keeps hitting that button? There you go, huge, large condyloma. And actually trying to get this treated, the, the patient was so frustrated because we said, listen, you know, it's in, <clears throat> you need to get it surgically debulked, but plastics in urology wouldn't do it. Uh, they didn't want the... Uh, the smoke fumes or something from the, from the virus. But so he eventually said, listen, I've had it for 15 years. I'm just going to keep it. Still at risk for skin cancer, but um, I uh, haven't seen him back. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is warts can become bonoid papulosis. That's where the wart becomes a low-grade superficial, um, excuse me, superficial um, squamous cell carcinoma in situ. And it likes to have a pigment color. So when you see... Uh, warts to give you a pigmented color, a little erythema, a little bit more reason to biopsy it to make sure there's no cancerous degeneration. Now you look at the back, you look at the front, what do you got to do? Look at the back, right? So here's a large cauliflower condyloma cuminatum, and uh, I see a guy out there closing your eyes. Open him up, the green shirt over there, I see you. Sorry, brother. And then this, this one over here, 
you get these condyloma, but this is condylomalata, and condylomalata is a um, secondary syphilis. Now this case here, I can't see what time it is, here we go, all right, we're doing all right, is this gentleman here with the large cauliflower wart, my uh, neighbor was a gastroenterologist, I was at University of Virginia, was a gastroenterologist, he goes, geez, I did this colonoscopy today, and it was the hardest colon, I couldn't, there was something in the way when I was trying to go in, I had no idea what it is. I'm like, and he showed me, he came, the guy came to the clinic the next day because I said I'd see him, and I'm like, you put your colonoscopy, you put your scope through that? Not good, huh? Anyways, um, sometimes warts and immunosuppressed patients can be very treatment resistant. Um, this gentleman here had failed everything from 5-fluorouracil, amiquimod, um, podophyllin, all the kind of things there. So what we did was topical sodofavir. So sodofavir is another antiviral agent. You can be made into a topical, 0.3% if you have a compounding pharmacy. Very expensive. It's like $8,000 for like, you know, uh, 30 grams. Um, and you can see here, he had almost complete resolution, but he still had um, distally, uh, as you can see, some erythematous nodular changes. Went to surgery, and that, uh, we biopsied that, and it was squamous cell carcinoma. And so he went to surgery and got debulked, and uh, we're waiting for his follow-up after that. All right, so now with warts is uh, uh, a nice article that we did um, in the Journal of Pediatric, Adolescence, uh, Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. Um, vaccines, obviously, are the new things out now. The Gardasil for 6, 11, and 16, 18. Cerevax for 16 and 18. Three doses indicated for girls between 9 to 26. Best before sexual activity. Does not treat active warts. Um, and also now it has been approved for, for males. So obviously the big concern is cervical cancer, and so that brings up my point. When you have your male patient in the room with an STD, especially if it's condyloma, you gotta have them have their, uh, their partner come in and, um, and make sure or at least they go and get to their uh, gynecologist to get their uh, pelvic and pap done because you don't want them to develop a cervical cancer. And those are some of the hardest uh, conversations that you'll have with a patient when you know, someone uh, has a ward, they don't realize they have it, they're in a monogamous relationship, something went down somewhere. Um, and that's not really my job to determine that. My job is to say, hey, you had a wart, and it can be passed to your partner and that can eventually lead to cervical cancer. Um, sometimes if there's just one isolated lesion and there is that history that there, it, it, uh, there wasn't any sexual in, infidelity, I will biopsy it. Because then it's the biopsy that says they have a wart, not you specifically. Something about it. Okay, other infections we'll go over. Uh, canidiasis. In the uncircumcised uh, foreskin, you can actually get the glabrous colony development on the lower left. Up our top, you usually see that erythema with the satellite papules. And what's that big streak? That's the primary care doctor treating it with Lotrazone for eight months, right? So avoid the dermatol. I use steroid in the groin because I'm a dermatologist. I know when to use it, how to use it, like you guys know how to do it. But the outside, they just keep slathering it on, slathering it on, and that's when you get your stretch marks. So pick, make your mind up. Either go, you know, an, uh, go with an antifungal first or steroid um, to get it cleared up uh, if you're not sure if what it is. Now, also tinea, tinea corporis usually does not affect the glands or the penis. Uh, definitely likes the groin and around. You can see your positive KOH prep. And here's another patient. You can see the active disease on the bottom left, um, and then a significant stria that he got from uh, using a steroid in the area. Other dermatoses, you can get impetigo of the penis. Uh, to the um, image on the left is what's called anaerobic erosive balanitis. That's usually due to bacteroides or enterobacter infection of the skin. More commonly seen in um, uh, men who have sex with men. 
and then in the bottom you can see the, uh, the classic Fournier's gangrene. So Fournier's gangrene was the same thing as necrotizing fasciitis. It's polymicrobial, so there's not really one specific bug that you can blame. It's low in its frequency, but if you have it, the mortality is high. Um, if you're immunosuppressed or you have diabetes, you're a little bit higher risk if you get it. Um, surgery, antibiotics, and hyperbaric oxygen. So we had a patient who presented with genital edema with necrosis down the center. You can say that's consistent with it. And when you look at the front, you got to look at the back. And he also had necrotizing fasciitis on the back. Geez, another case, right? Here's a, a young uh, football player from a local college, came in with acute onset of initially pruritic a little bit, but then excruciating pain in this area. As you can see, the two gauze where general surgery already went down to fascia, and they said the fascia was normal. And so then we're like, hmm, what's going to do that to you? So after further investigation, we found out that it was due to a bite of a yellow sac spider. And it was a dermatic, uh, derm dermonecrotic arachnidism. And you can see on this, the MRI, you can see that all the subcutaneous tissue uh, is inflamed. So he had that whole area eventually debulked. Um, yellow sac spiders are related to your, um, in the same class, uh, I do believe, I don't want to misspeak, but when you see, when they talk about spiders, you know, the hobo spider in Seattle, they talk about the brown recluse uh, in Tennessee, uh, and the yellow sac spider. So, of course, you know, I have a picture, uh, I found one in my house the other day, of course, in a panic mode, I <laughs> get the largest can of whatever you can spray into Star's brain. I hope it doesn't bite anybody. All right, scabies, classic, is the erythematous papulonodular lesions on the penis. Uh, rarely do you see the um, burrow uh, in these lesions uh, on the glands, but there was a nice one, had a nice uh, track. You can see your KOH preps, uh, for your ectoparasite preps, excuse me. Um, another one, erythematous glands, if you can look real close, I don't know why my laser's not working here. But uh, on the third papule from the top, one, two, three, there's a little, <laughs> little burrow on there. And then this one was just another example of scrotal lesions. And then this, you know, you're lucky here you get baby, mother, and um, the egg. Where's daddy? He's out of town. He's up on the surface, right? He doesn't burrow, right? So that's all right. You don't see dad in the picture. A gentleman came in with a dermatosis. You're like, holy cow, fixed drug? Nah. Allergic, could be, irritant, sure. Um, and then I got to uh, infectious, and I go, hmm. And there were at the bottom, uh, there was a little bit of a burrow, and we scraped it, and it was just, that was his presentation for scabies. Now, obviously, you can get encrusted scabies, right, where you uh, immunosuppress patient, it doesn't itch. Or in the case of the top two pictures, this gentleman was treated by three different dermatologists for a dermatitis with prednisone. He was on prednisone for a year. And he came to see us um, in desperation, and it took about five nanoseconds to make the diagnosis. Got him off the prednisone. However, he was so his uh, his adrenal gland function was suppressed, so we had to go. We checked his AM cortisol was low, so we actually had to get him to endocrinology to get him better. All right, neoplasia. Biggest one to be concerned about is uh, squamous cell carcinoma of the penis. Uh, it's, it's a, a rare cancer in the U.S., uh, higher in Asia, Africa, and South America. That shouldn't be a question mark there. Uh, age 50 to 70, if you do not have lymph node involvement, you have good survival. If you have lymph node involvement, it goes down, and significantly if it's pelvic lymph nodes. What are the risk factors? Uh, phimosis, which is where the foreskin can't be retracted. Uh, chronic inflammation, we'll talk about lichen sclerosis in a little bit. 
trauma, smoking, HIV has an eightfold increased risk, probably due to your increased risk for HPV, surgery, radiation, and chemo. Other examples, you can see uh, in the uh, top right, a, uh, an invasive squamous cell carcinoma. You can see a, a chronic necrotic lesion to the left, and at the bottom you see more of the verrucous carcinoma, the slow-growing squamous cell um, variant. Uh, another entity they used to talk about was called, they used to say myc micaceous balanitis, which would give you a thick white scale, but it's just a low-grade uh, low form of a squamous cell carcinoma. If you look at the front, you got to look at the back. Someone's paying, staying atten paying attention. Thank you. Squamous cell uh, of the anus is 85% of them. Uh, originates usually one to two centimeters to the dentate line. Obviously, HPV 16 and 18 have been linked. White's greater than blacks. Obviously, it's been due to Farrah Fawcett's recent death of anal cancer. That kind of uh, been more popular to talk about. This is an HIV patient that came in with this expanding erythematous nodular lesion. And so I go, that looks like a squamous cell carcinoma. So we biopsied it. But since he, he had something in the front, I looked in the back. And you can of see in the inferior pool, it looks a little bit different. He has some hemorrhoidal changes at top. And it's, and some tags, but there was a little bit of erythema, which turned out to be that was the squamous cell carcinoma in situ, and this lesion up here was an irritated Seb K. Certainly didn't look like it clinically, but that's what the biopsy showed. In, uh, we see a lot of transplant patients at Pittsburgh because we have a heavy transplant team. Uh, this is, uh, I always talk to the residents, the most important exam on your transplant patient is, is your anogenital mouth. Mucous membranes are huge. So and we looked in the back here and we go, hey, you know, that little pinkish papule there is not right. Send them to general surge. It was an early squamous cell. Uh, and then obviously there's advanced cases. Don't forget about Paget disease, extramammary Pagets. I throw that in there. That chronic uh, erosive dermatosis won't go away. You biopsy, you see the pagetoid spread. And then you got to be worried about is there underlying GU, GI, or nexal carcinoma. As I said, you always got to think outside the box. You're more likely going to see this than extramammary pagets. This is Haley Haley, right? Benign familial uh, pemphigus loves the groin, and it gives you the same look that um, a pagets does. Uh, so something to think about in your differential uh, diagnosis. Basal cell carcinoma on the scrotum. Well, I wrote a paper one time on basal cell carcinoma in the axilla. It can, uh, you know, 10% of basal cells can be in areas where the sun doesn't shine. This gentleman in the, t in the top right had radiation therapy for um, radiation therapy for testicular cancer. Uh, another basal cell on the bottom, very innocuous little papule. Three other cases of cancer: you have the um, you have the top is a basal cell, then a squamous cell, and then the one at the end there actually was an anaplastic large cell lymphoma. So don't be afraid to biopsy the genital area if you are. Get a, a urologist or a general surgeon or a plastic surgeon to help you. There are other benign lesions. Porokeratosis likes the genital area. They don't really talk about that in one of the variants, but a lot of immuno, uh, tran, uh, immunosuppressed patients can get porokeratosis. Uh, you can get uh, penile, just like women get the lab, pigmented labial macules, so can men. You can get epidermoid cysts from trauma, right, from a circumcision. You can also get idiopathic scrotal calcinosis, which are just epidermoid cysts, not sebaceous cysts. They don't exist. Uh, and then a median raffae cyst. You can get uh, nevus flamia simplex on the penis, as well as an AVM. Uh, the classic uh, penile, 
pearly penile papules or angiofibromas. It can come in several variants. I do believe it's the archives or the JAD just had an article about, is it pulse dye laser for improvement of that? Or one of the journal watches or something that came out about using pulse dye for that. Angiokeratoma is a little vascular lesion, very uh, benign, it can be periurethral, can be on the coronal, uh, the corona, and also could be on the scrotum. Your for, uh, angiokeratoma is a Fordyce. And Fordyce got his name on way too much stuff. And that's not fair when you can't <laughs> I don't get anything in English. But what happens is if you see him on the penis or up on the torso, it's angiokeratoma corpus diffusum, and that's Fabre's disease. Woo, marker for internal disease, right? So excellent recessive, it's a rare bird but you can get, uh, it's a deposition disease, and so you get in nerves, so you get acral dysesthesia, abdominal pain, cardiac, cerebrovascular disease, and also you can get cataracts, and usually they have problems with renal disease, um, causing most of their more, uh, morbidity, mortality. So here are the lesions. You see the lesions creep up on the penis, go right to the abdomen and thigh, and you might have made yourself a diagnosis of Fabre's. Uh, T is for trauma. Sometimes excessive use of this uh, part of our body can cause lymphatic inflammation and scarring, and this is what sclerosing lymphangitis of the penis is. Um, it's really asymptomatic unless it does ulcerate, which you can see in the top right, it can ulcerate. Now, trauma can happen in different ways. I'll let you use your imagination up on the top. The one here on the bottom right was a human bite. So you gotta watch out for echinella and staph aureus are the two, so you gotta think about the echinella. And this one on the bottom here was actually a little necrotic lesion from a tick bite. So you never know what, and I was just, I was at, on vacation, but I stopped my vacation to come here to talk to you. All right, there you go, thank you. Anyway, so I was taking, a, my kids are gonna hate me if they ever knew what I told them about. But my 12 year old came in and said, Dad, I gotta see you in the bathroom. And he had a little tiny tick right on the scrotum. And I said, hey, can I take a picture real quick? I got a talk coming up. He said no. Um, all right. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be done at 11.30. I know you got a membership drive, but I'm having too much fun, and I came too far not to stop talking. Dysesthetic anogenital syndrome. How many people will see that person that comes in that you don't want to see at 11.15, just before lunch, penodynia? Oh, my God. You know what I mean? The person comes in, my penis serves. First of all, when they're in the exam, what do they do? They take it, and they stretch it up to here. Well, that's why your penis serves. I mean, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> anyway, so my big thing about that is just like brachial paritis. Moralgia parasthetica, notalgia parasthetica, like I wrote recently about scalp dysesthesias from cervical spine disease. It's usually, it's not a skin problem, okay? It is a neurogenic problem. It's the CNS, peripheral nervous system, is that you have a pinched nerve, a, a bulging disc, um, you have a pinched nerve somewhere along the way, and then you rule out the, if that, you don't find anything, then you can also throw in psychogenic, okay? Um, <clears throat> so that your dysesthetic anogenital syndrome, very difficult. I treat those patients with gabapentin, um, Cymbalta, um, uh, Fexor, I don't mess around with the topicals, and unless you're using Promoxine uh, topical or topical gabapentin that you get compounded. So there's no rash, think neurologic. Now this also goes, well wait a minute, this looks like a rash. Well this is there always an exception to the rule. So this is your uh, lichen simplex chronicus scratching. Now in dark skin patients I call it my Gila monster sign, right? So that's why I have a Gila monster. You can say, hey, that's a Gila monster sign, okay? So um, something to think about. So that can come under psoriasiform dermatoses, but also can come under um, dysesthetic syndromes. Now the opposite is when you get inflammation in the area, specifically in the anterior two-thirds of the scrotum, is called the red scrotal syndrome. I was with Kenny Greer at UVA. He's one of the best dermatologists in the country. Uh, and he always called the burning red bag. And uh, so... <laughs> 
you got to understand Kenny and how he is in that, but it makes sense. But when I came, when I looked at it, I said, hey, topical steroids where antifungals work, nothing works. This is actually a small, in my opinion, a small fiber uh, sensory nerve uh, neuropathy like erythromyalgia. If you put it on your leg, they come in as burning red and painful. You say that's erythromyalgia. So gabapentin helped with this gentleman. So something to think about for red scrotal syndrome. All right, we're in the last phase of psoriasis. Kind of straightforward. The biggest thing you got to worry about is what? Do they have arthritis? And even if they, and I've seen more cases of people come in with a little bit of penile lesions and have, you know, terrible arthritis. Uh, so even though it's just in a little spot, you still got to bring up the systemic. If you look at the front, look at the back, right? Gluteal cleft, that's where all your staff is that's causing all that trouble. You clear that up, you might help your psoriasis get a little bit better. Um, Pityriasis ruber pilaris. I was lucky enough to find this one that affected the penis. It still gave it the same orange color instead of the red of psoriasis. Lichen planus, right? Violaceous plaques, the Wickham stria. You can also get annular LP. Um, what, the hardest one to, to really differentiate is uh, erosive lichen planus. It can be in the mouth, it can be in the anogenital area. Obviously, that is confusing for the other balanidities, which we'll finish up with. And uh, this here, I always check in Pittsburgh, we have a high hepatitis C population. So anyone that comes in with anything lichenoid or lichen planus, erosive or not, I check for hepatitis C. Um, this case here, you may even want to biopsy it to see if it's lichenoid versus fixed drug. So this one is actually not your straightforward walk-in, uh, close the door diagnosis. Uh, you can also get lichenitidis, as you can see on the right. You get that little claw shaped with that ball of inflammation, but also little bumps on the penis, maybe sarcoidosis. So sometimes you do have to biopsy. Prefer to biopsy the foreskin or the, the shaft is a little bit easier than doing the, the glands. The glands will bleed significantly, so if you're not comfortable with that, I'd pass it on to urology. Uh, other cases of lichen nitidus. One almost looked papulovesicular, they look so juicy, um, and one looked a little bit more lichenoid at the bottom. All right, the balanidities, right? So we've done faint with psoriasiform balanitis. There's a couple here. One is balanitis erotica obliterans or lichen sclerosis. We don't really know what causes it. Uh, I was, uh, when I was doing, looking at this article, I was surprised to see that it's associated with alopecia areata, thyroid disease, and pernicious anemia. Um, chronic relapsing, um, it may go away, but usually in my cases I see is chronic. The biggest problem here is that you have sexual dysfunction. You can't get an erection without a lot of discomfort. You get scarring and fusion, and then the urethra becomes very micro. And unfortunately, you need that open to go to the bathroom, right? Treatment-wise, circumcision, um, you can try your... Uh, Calcineurin inhibitors, topical retinoids, systemic retinoids. I've even tried methotrexate in a treatment-resistant case. <clears throat> now, that urethral stricture is a big deal, and it's also more common in India than obviously in the United States, but you can see there are two cases. One where I sent to urology right off the bat because um, he was having difficulty with flow, and then the far left, this gentleman already had several repairs to open up the urethral meatus. Um, and so he came to me and I said, well, you have, uh, I put him on clobetazole for his lichen sclerosis that was causing the problem, and he was able not to have to have further surgery. Now, you can use that. I use it as long as you need it. You use it every day the rest of your life. I don't care. It's usually, if, if you have active inflammation, you can use a little clobetazole in that area. If you get concerned, you can switch over to the protopic and elidil. Um, as long as, you, you know, they're using it and they're not slathering it all over the place, they'll be all right. Another case of, you can see why it'd be difficult, uh, A, you, you would think you had an STD, B, you wouldn't, uh, an erection is, just, uh, is uncomfortable. 
So more classic lichen sclerosis. Pathology-wise, you can see this uh, hyalinized uh, collagen in the reticular dermis. It has a um, uh, interface dermatitis, and it can become bullous. So there's another differential for a bullous-fixed drug is uh, lichen sclerosis can be bullous as well. Now, because the skin gets kind of uh, sclerotic and atrophic, any activity can also cause petechial eruption, right? Not, um, so, but not all petechial eruptions on the penis are considered um, lichen sclerosis. This was a patient that had um, HSP, enoxial purpura, IgA vasculitis. Now, obviously, that wasn't his only lesions, right? He had other areas, but it can be on the penis. But as you can see here, there's no evidence of sclerosis with it. So if, usually, if you're going to get the sclerotic changes, you're going to see a little bit. I mean, if you're going to get the purpuric changes, you're going to see a little bit of the sclerosis. Zunes balanitis, we're in the home stretch, people hanging there. Um, uh, Middle-aged to older, usually on the glands and prepus. Usually you're uh, an uncircumcised patient, and that's why treatment is circumcision. Um, it's almost, to me, the biopsy almost looks the same as Schomburg's. It's like a progressive pigmentary dermatosis on the lower legs, almost the same type of pathology, except there's plasma cells. Uh, and there have been a couple other uh, reports about topical steroids, CO2 lasers, obviously uh, your um, tacrolimus. And then they used imiquimod. I don't really know why you'd want to use imiquimod, because you know it's going to be irritating, but they had success uh, for 12 uh, using it for 12 weeks with a six-month remission. Maybe like a topical immunotherapy that we use for alopecia areata. You know, how do you think that would work um, with uh, DPCP or something? Uh, another kind of an example, giving you that shiny, um, almost Schomburg's-like look from uh, petechia. All right, reactive arthritis is the last. Balanitis circinata is a study <laughs> out of India that looked at it that sometimes you can make the diagnosis of writers based on skin findings. So they thought balanitis circinata and with an acquired keratoderma called keratoderma blenderagicum, you want to keep in mind reactive arthritis used to be called Reiter's syndrome. If you have HIV, you may have a more longer entailed course than if you don't have HIV, but an HIV is not one of the infections that will cause the process. So another little example, sometimes when you get the little keratotic change to the, um, to the skin with the keratoderma like that, you want to worry about Reiter's reactive arthritis. They can get tenosynovitis uh, and spondylarthropathies. All right, wow, not too bad. I saved, I shaved off five minutes from my previous speaker uh, that went over. Fixed drug reactions, allergic irritant dermatitis, infection, neoplastic trauma, that's your faint. P is psoriasiform, balanitis. <clears throat> when we were in the military, we said faint with penis block. It made it stick a little bit. Uh, better than psoriasiform balanitis, but that's not appropriate. Once again, the pearls. Did we learn this today? Ready? Not all male anogenital disease is sexually related. True or false? Okay. If you look at the front, you got to look at the back. True. All uncircumcised foreskins need to be retracted during physical exam. You never know what's hiding under there, right? Anogenital disease may be a marker of systemic disease. That's what you don't want to miss. And that concludes my talk. Thank you very much.